In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. That on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Last week, our gospel images came from the workplace and the athletic arena. Today, it comes from the field. Seed is scattered by one who sows or plants. The point of the parable is how the seed fares in the various locations, which represent a condition of the human heart. The wayside is the soil that has been trodden down by heavy foot traffic. It represents a hardened heart. The seed in the rock or rocky soil has a shallow surface of loose dirt on top of a hard rock uh, base. It is only slightly softer than the wayside. The thorns represent a competing plant growing in the heart. And the good soil is where the seed takes root and grows freely. The parable presents a black and white contrast between the seed on the good soil and the seed in the other areas. If we were looking at the field in question, it would be obvious upon planting that the various seeds were destined for their respective fates. We know we're not going to get corn on the cob from seed planted in a quarter inch of soil. Yet in the spiritual life, it's not that simple. <clears throat> we cannot draw conclusions from the first planting because we cannot see the heart. Even when the seed is planted in a soft and receptive heart, or what appears to be a soft and receptive heart, there is still much battle to be waged against the devil, the temptation, and the riches and cares of the world. As we sow the seed of the word, we can never be certain about its fate. How can we know whose enthusiastic first faith in Christ will be met in two years' time by temptation that will render the faith unfruitful. The punchline of the parable is that the seed on the good soil brings forth fruit with patience. Patience is a misunderstood virtue, and the chief error is one of translation. The English word implies a passivity and an inactivity in a way that the Greek word does not. Thus, if we tell a young child to be patient, we are likely to mean that a child should sit still, sit in place, until we tell the child it's okay to act. However, the biblical word means more accurately perseverance. It means to keep on performing an activity and not give up. A proper analogy would be a marathon runner who continues to stride on pace and pump the arms with eye on a, the long distant goal. 
or a doctoral student who keeps doing the daily work of study and writing uh, to complete a dissertation in two or three or four years' time, or if we are to stay with the agricultural imagery, it is a gardener who continues to fertilize and water and prune and tend to the plant, knowing that this labor will produce a flower or something to eat in a year's time. This distinction is the, of the utmost importance for our understanding of the faith. The parable teaches us that patience or perseverance is the virtue that separates genuine faith from faux or fake faith. In the parable, two of the three areas that ended up being unfruitful did in fact produce some measure of initial growth. Only time revealed the lack of perseverance. Similarly, two new Christians, one destined down the road to become a non-fruit-bearing nominal Christian and the other destined to be a saint, look very much the same, perhaps, at the six-month or year or two-year mark. What will ultimately distinguish the two? Certainly not that the saint is better at sitting still. The faith that saves us is an active faith that follows the sacramental principle. Faith is seen in what one does. As St. James says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, the primary works of faith are the various activities that make up what we call the life of prayer. To persevere in faith is to persevere in the life of prayer, which bears the fruit of obedience to the commandments and good works. Obvious problems arise when faith is viewed passively. If faith is just some abstract principle of trust, then how are we to exercise it? Faith in God might be envisioned as sitting in a chair simply repeating, I believe, I believe, I believe, not so much exercising faith as trying to convince ourselves that we do, in fact, believe. Genuine faith is exercised by activity. Faith means that I participate in the Eucharist on Sunday, that I read the daily offices, that I converse with God in prayer and tithe. Faith means that I try to act with love and obedience to God in the various circumstances where I find myself in life. It means that if I fall, I will confess my sins, and that also I will <clears throat> be about the business of attempting to use the gifts I have to serve the body of Christ in the world. In all these active ways, I 
put my life into God's hands and trust him for the results and my ultimate destiny. Apart from some series of regular and visible actions that serve as the outward and visible sign of my faith, it's hard to know exactly what is meant if I say, I believe. And this brings us <clears throat> back to the parable. To bring forth fruit with patience means to continue to practice the various disciplines of faith through times of temptation and testing, through demonic attack, and as a way of constantly renouncing the world, as we just remember what we did in baptism. The seed on the soil that does not bear fruit represents a passive faith. It attempts to silently trust in the face of the onslaught brought about by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and it eventually succumbs. The fruit-bearing seed, by contrast, keeps on practicing the faith. This highlights what may be the most important point of the parable for contemporary Christians. The faith that perseveres to the end is rooted in the will rather than the emotions. Genuine faith does not always make us feel like doing what we ought to do. Genuine faith just makes us do it anyway. As we keep on doing what we ought, in spite of our contrary feelings, we keep moving forward consistently towards the goal of resurrection and life in the world to come. Let us return to our analogies for support. At the 15-mile mark, the marathon runner probably does not feel like going on. But if he has developed the will to continue on in spite of his feelings, if he has patience, he will finish, no matter how he feels. Our gardener may not feel on a given morning or for some extended stretch of time, like watering, fertilizing, pruning, caring for the garden. But if it continues on anyway, he will have flowers and fruit. And if he does not, he will not. Clearly, the will, what we will to do, is more important than how we feel. The biggest temptation we face is not just the temptation to commit sin. The biggest temptation we, faith, we face is the temptation to give up our practice of the faith. When we abandon the discipline of living in communion with the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, sin comes in and fills the void, the vacuum, and faith diminishes. This is the devil's goal. Any particular sin we may be tempted to commit is only for the larger purpose 
of pulling us away from faith and tempting us to give up. Sin leads to guilt. Repeated sin leads to despair, which then leads us to give up. The only sure way to combat temptation, therefore, is to persevere, to never give up. To be a Christian in the Anglican tradition is to practice the faith within the framework of the Anglican rule. Our rule of life for prayer reflects a threefold pattern. We gather for the Eucharist on Sunday and other holy days. We pray the daily offices of morning and evening prayer. We make time for private prayer, for a conversation where we talk with God. On top of this, we establish personal disciplines of giving, fasting, silence, and contemplation. And we live out this rule through an annual cycle of feasting and fasting that begins in Advent and comes to its fruition in Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost. Our rule of life may be adjusted seasonally or as our circumstances change, but it must never be abandoned. As we persevere in this practice of the faith, we grow spiritually. We become stronger and more able to resist temptation. We discern our gifts and we discern how God is calling us to use those gifts in the world. We bear fruit. For our faith to be fruit-bearing in an efficient and effective manner, two things are necessary. We must establish some pattern for our practice of the faith. We must establish some rule of life. This is the outward and visible manifestation of our invisible faith. Second, we must persevere in our practice of the faith until we die or the Lord comes. As Jesus said, that in the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.